Welcome to the Luminous Podcast, weekly meditations, readings, and blessings to assist with our rest, peace, and spiritual wellness. You can find out more at LuminousAnglican.com. Today we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as those who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead of Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. It's the word of the Lord. The gospel passage today is a really beautiful story. It's from Matthew 25, 1 through 13. It is the parable and story of the women with and virgins with lamps and oil. It's a very fascinating story that connects with this. And we're looking at this, Paul's message to the Thessalonians. Most of which I'm sharing is from a historical perspective and uh, teachings of the early church. With the fullness of context, we'll see much more than what may stand out on its own. You know, the most annoying show during football season? It has to be college game day. Even if you like college football, I have a hard time watching this. It is just so much. All the signs, all the noise. They highlight college football programs and their mantras and all of the hype around whatever program. And they do that for the fan base of whatever it is. Sometimes it's interesting to watch. Sometimes it's just annoying. A few weeks ago, we had it on and they were showing all these players walking through the tunnel to the field, getting hyped up, and they do what most every program does. They have something hanging over the doorway with a slogan or a mantra or a sign. And they hit it and they jump up and hit it on the way out. Many of us would probably think about the believe sign in Ted Lasso. Notre Dame's is play like a champion today, I believe. 
Many others have whatever it would be. And this is an idea. It's a concept that many of us live by. We all live with a slogan that if we could put it over our doorways, we would hit every day. Some of us reluctantly, some of us to get ourselves through the day, to have something to look forward to. Many Christians live with this type of mentality. Some have a mantra that they cannot deviate, or maybe it was instilled in them at a young age. N.T. Wright says this, the American obsession with the second coming of Jesus, especially with distorted interpretations of it, continues unabated. Paul's letter may sound like a dramatic end time scenario, but it is much more. Jesus himself never predicted such an event, just as we know that he didn't speak on many things that some swear he did. It seems the rapture mentality allows people to pollute the world on the grounds that it's all going to be destroyed at some point anyway. So who cares? Wouldn't this change the way we see the world? If we recaptured Paul's holistic vision of God's creation, which is the renewal of all things to be made and to be put whole, to be put right, as it was in the beginning. See, this is really about the transfiguration of all things, past, present, and future. The past being the paschal mystery of Jesus, and the present maybe ecclesial encounter of the Eucharist, maybe so as we are gathered together, receive Jesus, and are sent. Future is all things being transformed. The mystics say, the cosmos transfigured, from Acts 3.21. So the gospel passage that we hear on occasion about the Son of Man coming on the clouds, from Mark 13.14, for example, these are about Jesus's vindication, his coming to heaven from earth. The parables about a returning king, for example, Luke 19, 11 through 27, were originally about God returning to Jerusalem, not about Jesus returning to earth. This, Jesus seemed to believe, was an event within time and space, space-time history, one that would renew it, not one that would end it. The ascension of Jesus and the second coming is about Jesus within the context of God's new creation. Always has been and it always should be. This is taught throughout the New Testament and early Christian teaching. It is really only in the last 150 years that it has become such an idol or mantra to live by and a mentality that has consumed and distorted the way 
And understanding what will happen requires a far more sophisticated cosmology. This is meaning that whenever we're talking about the bigger picture, in which heaven is somewhere out there, up there, rather than perhaps even a different dimension, a different space-time altogether. I think of the movie Interstellar. I've seen this movie so many times. It is probably one of my favorites. The fascinating part about this isn't just Matthew McConaughey's performance or Anne Hathaway. It is extraordinary at how it opens us up from this narrative that God is perhaps real and the universe is more connected than we'd ever imagined. There's so much to unpack in that film. And I say that in the context of a greater hope, a greater reality. See, the New Testament builds on ancient biblical prophecy that the Creator will remake heaven and earth, affirming the goodness of the old creation and overcoming its mortality and corruption. And this could be found in Romans 8, 18 through 27, Revelation 21, 1, Isaiah 65, 17, 66, 22. Paul's description of Jesus' reappearance in 1 Thessalonians 4 is a brightly colored version of what he says in two other passages. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54, Philippians 3, 20 through 21. At Jesus' coming, appearing, those who are still alive will be changed or transformed so that their mortal bodies will become incorruptible, deathless. This may be all that Paul intends to say in Thessalonians, perhaps. Here's three observations. First, Paul echoes the story of Moses coming down from the mountain with the Torah. The trumpet sounds, a loud voice is heard, And after a long wait, Moses comes to see what's been going on in his absence. And secondly, he echoes Daniel 7, in which the people of the saints of the Most High, that is the one like a son of man, are vindicated over their pagan enemy by being raised up to sit with God in glory. This metaphor applied to Jesus in the Gospels is now applied to Christians who are truly suffering persecution. A third thought here. Paul stirs images of an emperor visiting a colony. The citizens go out to meet him in the open country and then escort him back to the city. Paul's image of the people meeting the Lord in the air has historically been read with the assumption that the people will immediately turn around and lead the Lord back to the newly remade world. The transfiguration of all things, for God has, is, and will make all things new. 
as we speak so many times in the already and not yet. For us, we should be attuned to the reality that we will be a part of this renewal. We are a part of this renewal. This means fullness, a full wholeness, liberation has nothing to do with doom and destruction. What an extraordinary shift for us to imagine this beautiful reality. Henry Nouwen once wrote, the spiritual life does not remove us from the world, but leads us deeper into it. You don't think your way into a new kind of living. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. See, the way of Jesus offers us so much beauty, so much hope, and will always be the way forward for humanity. So much more than what Christians have reduced the gospel to be. May we open our hands, our hearts, our minds to the goodness of the way, the greater goodness of humanity. We have so much more to encounter and to embody than waiting to evacuate. Here is an invitation to see more clearly the beauty goodness and hope of Jesus in the midst of our darkness, pain, weightiness, and war. To do the work that we have been given to do, to carry the light to dark places, and to share peace with everyone that we meet. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. If you would like more information or ways to be a part of Luminous, please go to luminousanglican.com. Peace be with you.